Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome to the Growth Island Podcast, and thank you for tuning in again. So my name is Mass Freeze, and I'm the host of the podcast. So something I don't think about that often is my sight. I kind of take that for granted, and I should be much more grateful for being able to see. But it is extremely important, like, what can we actually see, and what about the people that are running into challenges with their eyes? So for that, I got a really interesting guest on the podcast. He is the founder of the Vision Optimization Summit, which is a summit where he interviews different experts on the eyesight. He is legally blind, and you might be wondering, like, what the hell does that mean? I did as well. We'll talk about that. He is an avid biohacker, so uh, is a guy that I often see in the biohacking scenes, whether it's at the different conferences and so on, that are really digging deep into, like, what can you actually do to, like, improve your health and so on, which comes from this deep pain of being legally blind himself. And then he has a movie about his journey about being legally blind and trying to regain his sight and being able to to navigate in this world. And then, as he says, he's a citizen scientist, meaning that, well, actually, I'll let him tell a little bit more about that as well. So, uh, Victor, Mifsud, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Mads. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. Thank so, you. Victor, let's just start a bit. Um, sure. Kind of like your story. So, you grew up and you could see a bit, or, or how did that work? Okay, so when I was a child, around like six, seven, I, I was uh, complaining to my, my mother when I was playing outside that it was very difficult to play outside when it was getting dark. And I didn't understand why I was tripping over things and, and had difficulty focusing because of the, the low light conditions. And I saw these other kids, they were running around, playing perfectly fine. And me, I was having trouble. So I was asking my mom, you know, and I said it was dark. And she's like, it's dark. What, what do you want to see if it's dark? But I'm like, no, something seems like not right. And uh, it kind of kept going on. I kept tripping over things. And I kept uh, like missing things if I was going to look for certain things. And um, we went for an appointment. And then it turned out that I have this rare genetic vision condition called retinitis pigmentosa, or RP for short. And the symptoms of that are, the first one is night, night blindness, so very difficult navigating in the dark, and tunnel vision. So it's a, like a, a tunneling of, of the vision. My peripheral vision was fading from the outside inwards. Retinitis pigmentosa can kind of take different forms, so it might affect certain people differently. That's just the nature of how that vision condition works. How I many do, people have this disease around the world? It's one, one in, one in four thousand people, in in, and I think in the states, it's one in four thousand people. So that can kind of give you an idea. Hmm. That's kind of how it, it affected me. I mean, I have my central vision, so I can see through that hole in you know, clarity and color. I did used to wear glasses for distance, but I've, uh, I, I've since used some vision techniques to, to reduce my myopia, 
And uh, at the same time, I, I had my lenses replaced, but that was from a cataract surgery uh, when I was 30. That's why I'm legally blind. I've, I've been uh, dealing with this condition most of my life. Uh, it did progressively worsen uh, when I was uh, 21 or so, which uh, where I lost my driver's license. That was a pretty hard moment because I was just kind of growing up. I had my own car. I drove to work. And then I went into a routine eye appointment and uh, you know I was given this information that my eyes were getting much worse and that they were going to take my license away. And I was completely devastated by that, you know, diagnosis is, uh, you know, I thought, you know, things were okay. Things were stable and, you know, it really affected my life. It affected my independence. And I, I went through a pretty difficult time from a mental health perspective, just dealing with that diagnosis. Cause I just felt so different and I was, very unsure of the future, like what's going to happen? Am I going to go, you know, completely blind? Is that the tunnel is supposed to pretty much close out? And that's, you know, very difficult to process that information. And I was dealing with other issues as well in regards to mental health, you know, like a troubled childhood and, you know, parents challenging me in certain ways and the traumas that came along with that. So, you know, that's kind of how it really started. And that's kind of how I found out about it. And uh, it, it was quite difficult and challenging to, to, to deal with that. And, you know, most doctors ended up telling me that there's nothing that I can do about it. You know, it's I just to hear when you have something like that. And I think it's been a minute of the podcast where I talk to guests where there's medical doctors that are like, despite their education and so on, like suddenly just being told there's nothing you can do whether it's Hashimoto's or Crohn's disease and so on. And the doctor's just like, you got to live with it. Don't beat yourself up and don't try all these weird things. But in reality, there actually is a way out. Or a better way. Yeah, yeah there is. And I mean, on, on top of that, I was also dealing with learning difficulties or learning disabilities that were undiagnosed throughout my whole school year. Because while I was in school, I, I felt just like the stupid kid who didn't understand anything. And so there was that as well. So life was just one challenge after another, feeling so different and, and not fitting in. And uh, I just thought... So what got you out of that pit hole? Being like having challenges learning being told that you're losing your vision and you can no longer drive around being like in a really dark place. Like what, what pulled you out? Well, when I was 30 years old, another failed relationship happened and, and like, you know, I lost the job and I was starting to get cataracts and I thought like, this is not going in the right direction. And I was at a very, very, very low point, extremely depressed anxious on medications that weren't doing anything, you know, antidepressant medications, anti-anxiety medications, ADD medications that were not helping me at all. And uh, I just hit this point where I felt like I, I had to try anything to get out of that situation. And by chance of, of, of the universe, I came across this book that one person suggested to me. And then like three days later, this other person suggested the same book. So I'm like, oh my God, okay, I got to check this book out. And um, the book was Dr. Norman Deutsch. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote this book 
called The Brain That Changes Itself. It's stories from the frontiers of neuroplasticity. So it's different stories of how neuroplasticity affected somebody's life in, in different ways, like getting out of strange issues, whether it was a stroke, severe learning disabilities, vision loss. And there was one story that stood out for me. It was Barbara Aerosmith. She was touted as the woman who changed her brain by using neuroplastic exercises to correct her own learning difficulties. And hearing her story, I was so taken by it because I felt like she was talking about me. Mm. And um, that was one of them. I ended up exploring that school as an adult, going there and, and, and changing my, my brain using these cognitive uh, exercises for you know two years I attended the school at, as an adult at 30 or sorry 32 and that was one of them and at the just same quickly, time Victor neuroplasticity can you just say a few words if someone never heard about that before but kind of realized it's something to do yeah. with the brain yeah sure neuroplasticity that is basically the brain's ability to change itself often we thought that the brain was fixed in the sense that you're born with the brain that you have, you know, as you develop through, you know, zero to seven, then all of a sudden it's just, you, you have that brain for the rest of your life. But that's not the case. You know, science has now learned that it's possible for the brain to grow new neurons and um, it's possible for the brain to, to change for the better or for the worse. But, you know, if you give it the right stimulus, whether these, these novel cognitive exercises that focus on targeted problem areas of the brain, you can actually strengthen them. So it's quite profound. There's, there's um, a lot of really interesting science around uh, the power of neuroplasticity. I think that's that another big... fascinating subject. Like how many things that we take for granted is in a specific way. And we're like, we have science. We know this is how things work. And then later on, we discover that that was actually not true. Just like... When you're talking about the brain, I had a, a class at Harvard where we learned a lot about the brain as well. And it was like, it used to be, think as you were saying, that it was fixed. You couldn't change anything. Then we saw research on these taxi drivers in the UK. That was before you had a GPS and we could see their brain was developed in another way. So we're like, all right, there's two things. Either people that has a brain that's developed <clears throat> much more in that region become taxi drivers or they develop it, right? And now with more research and more studies, we now know that that old truth of like you couldn't change your brain is not a real truth. And I think that's so fascinating also like when we look at health today, like what are the things that we take for granted and saying like this is how it is that we're going to be in 10 years saying like, okay, this truth that all the doctors believed in turned out not to be true, right? Yeah. And and to to add to that, those other things that I thought that couldn't be changed were my, you know, my mental health issues that I was dealing with and that the medications weren't helping me. And the other thing is eyesight. Hmm. You know, we see with the brain, not with the eye. So if the brain is neuroplastic, then the eyes can, can change too. And it's all about kind of giving the right environment. You know? So where are you? Where are you today in regards to your eyes and the medicine compared to where you were some years ago? My eyes right now are at their at their best. I've been working with a behavioral optometrist, which is pretty much like a holistic optometrist. Um, there's certain techniques that can be used to help facilitate the healing of the eyes in, in various different ways. The other thing is with the mental health aspect, where I felt quite stuck is um, 
you know, there's, there's different modalities of, of, of healing, you know, psychedelic therapy is, is huge. And that played a big role in my healing as well. So again, you know, the brain, like the body can heal in various different ways. And we often thought that it's not the case or don't bother trying. So you fully off the medicine now after all the anesthesia done, or is it still a little bit to, to keep it at a, a secure level? For my eyesight? Eyesight and also mental health. Oh, I'm not on any um, medications for, for my mental health. So I'm completely, I've been off it for about 10 years or so. I've been, you know, working with psychedelics and my therapist as well mm. for integration. Um, that's been quite helpful. And for my eyesight, seven, eight years ago, I came across this really interesting book called Take Off Your Glasses and See. Mm. And it's a, about, it's basically about this modality that existed about a hundred years ago put on by Dr. William Bates called the Bates method. And he developed eye exercises and eye relaxation exercises that allow people to overcome, you know, various vision challenges. And it's quite profound and the, the modalities work. You know, a lot of people think that they have to wear glasses for the rest of their life, but that's not the case. And if you know how, which is quite easy, well, after you know, you, you understand the concept that the that the eyes can heal. My situation was a bit more complicated with my genetic, you know, genetic retinitis pigmentosa condition. So I ended up finding literature in, in a few of those books saying that people were successful into reversing or drastically improving retinitis pigmentosa using syntonic light therapy and other vision training. You know, after reading that book, Take Off Your Glasses and See, I, I used to wear glasses and I tried a lot of these techniques and I, I reduced my glasses prescription by over 33%, mm. you know, a, couple, uh, a good couple of years back. And so, that so helped. Jumping into that, what are some of the very concrete things that you have seen that works that we have some science behind and what are some things that you have from kind of like the intuitive level of understanding the body makes sense that's helped you and what are some of the more like anecdotal to be like we don't have any proof on anything else but this works for me and if we start with the the science scientific part first absolutely sure so there's a lot of data showing that light is very important for us to see the eyes need like a full spectrum light in the eyes sun, morning sunrise which is 42 infrared is very beneficial for eye health. The red light and infrared light is very, very, very beneficial for the eyes. There's many papers now showing that uh, red light therapy in the eyes can drastically reduce myopia. And, and myopia is? My, oh, sorry, myopia is, uh, is the need for glasses to look at things far away. Okay. And pres presbyopia is the opposite. You need glasses to look at things up close. So, so in regards to red light, how do we use that? Is it like getting up for every sunrise or what kind of red light panels, what like spectrum of light is needed? And, uh, and is it like watching 10 minutes, 20 minutes? Like what, what do we know works? Well, it really depends. Again, it's a bit multifaceted. So I'm going to try and see if I can make this easy. I mean, the most optimal thing for the eyes right now is sunrise. I would suggest because the spectrum of the morning light is, is very important 
from an eye health perspective to a circadian biology perspective. So there's a lot of data showing that the circadian code, that book, you know, the work of Dr. Jack Cruz talks a lot about the importance of circadian rhythm, health, even uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman as well. So that's very important. But if, if there's more complex issues or you know, if, if you spend most of your life indoors, there's been this buildup of lack of, of light deficiencies, essentially. So, you know, it might be more advantageous to, to work with a light therapy device, you know, in the realms of 630 nanometers, 6, 680 nanometers, and 850. I think those are two reds, two types of reds, and then the near-infrared. So whether it's an LED, I mean, most of the red light panels are LED, uh, which is good because they don't have too much of the heat. You know, you're not going to burn your eyes. So um, usually it's suggested, depends on how far away or what condition you're dealing with. For example, the studies suggested for my situation, retinitis pigmentosa, where, where it showed benefit was about 10 centimeters away from the light unit, just for 30 seconds with your eyes closed and sort of like swoop from left to right, but just have that light shining you know, on your face in the eyes. And uh, again, it's a profound effect. Basically what it's doing is all the cells run on mitochondria and, and you know, mitochondrial dysfunction is the stem of, of, of most of these issues. So the red light is shown to drastically improve the mitochondria. So thus having that turnaround, allowing the cells to, to really do their thing. And then you can get into things like color light therapy or syntonic light therapy for the eyes which is quite beneficial as well. That can be a, a little more, not necessarily one size fits all because you, you might need a color prescription that, that fits with you as the individual. But there's these types of glasses that one can get. I mean, these are red glasses, wearing them 10 minutes a day, which again, it's almost like a red light therapy. So there's that similar effect that this has uh, on the eyes and it can rebalance vision. And then some people really benefit as well from these are green. Mm-hmm. So you wear this 10 minutes a day in front of a bright window and the green is very balancing for the eyes as you well. So both look cool like a rock star <laughs> and you improve your eyes. Hey, why not? That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you have, to, is it fine to sit behind a window or do you need to be out to see the real uh, sun exposure? I would say outdoors is ideal. Depends on the lux of the lights. I mean, about right behind me here is just this massive big window. So in a, in a, a couple more hours, it's going to be really, really bright and sunny because the sun goes down this way. Mm. So, yeah. And I mean, again, there's a lot of data on on, uh, on the power of syntonic light therapy. And we, we I do discuss a few cases, case studies by natural vision educators and behavioral optometrists that use this these techniques to help behavior issues, learning issues, and vision issues, because they all actually are tied in, because again, we see with the brain. So there's this kind of connection going on of just balancing the system. Hmm. So light is something we know works. You can take red light and potentially sit with one minute close eyes. That helps. Would you look directly into the red light as well, or would you stay away from that? That's a question I got about red light before Um, as well. Yeah, the thing is the, your eyelids, are so thin that if you close your eyes, it, it's still going to penetrate through. And and for me, I said 30, 30 seconds, which is not, doesn't seem like a long time, but it's, it, if you're, see the thing with LED panels, the further you are away, the less intense and the closer you are, the more intense. 
So you don't want to underdo it and you don't want to overdo it with the red light therapy, especially that close with the eyes. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the, the way the studies were working for my condition specifically. But mm -hmm. for people dealing with myopia or presbyopia or just wants to improve, you know, you could be a bit further back from it. And while you're doing the whole body, just kind of like have it on the face. I always suggest having red lights on if you have to work on it inside anyway, like just having red lights on in general to again, balance out the spectrum of, of being indoors. I think that's what we're essentially trying to mimic is just being outdoors all the time. Hmm. So, but what about for the eyes? So um, I think I'm a bit more light sensitive. So when I look into red light, I, it's really not comfortable for me. So I always close my eyes, but I also know some of my friends are actually like sitting and looking into the, the red light. Have you seen any data on like the damaging effects or is it kind of the verdict is still out there? Or would you just always keep your eyes closed because that's kind of the safe thing and you still get a lot of the benefits? I open my eyes in front of it as well. I actually used to be quite light sensitive. I was the king of collecting sunglasses. Wearing, I wore sunglasses all of my life. I st and I still started to get cataracts at 30. And then, you know, learning about light spectrums in the eyes and, and the importance of circadian biology. I just one day just said, I'm not going to wear sunglasses. And eventually my eyes, my, my light sensitivity just went away. Mm. So that might take some time. Mm. Uh, it also depends on where you are as well. Like, you know, latitude wise, if we're in Toronto versus, you know, going to Mexico, the sun is a heck of a lot stronger, especially, you know, 11 o'clock, noon, one o'clock. It's very different from from here. I mean, you know, the latitude of some parts of Mexico is is, is 20. And I'm, I'm right now in Toronto's, you know, 39 or 40 something. So that's, you know, not all sun is is created equally in that sense it really depends where you are in the world mm. so you know light is powerful and there's definitely it's hard to be a one-size-fits-all because the power of light can be so in intense yeah and again skin tone and that that's a whole other thing uh, as well so so shifting uh, gear a little bit from light what are other very concrete things that you can do to improve your eyes so that you have used or that might also be applicable for someone that's wearing glasses and actually want to stop wearing glasses? Well, I often say this. You don't need your glasses as much as you think you do. The other thing too, modern optometry, the way they're designed with like stigmatism compensation, stigmatism is when your eye is kind of shaped like a, not round, but more of like a football, like an American football, I should say. So, mm -hmm. and then when people get glasses, they get the stigmatism compensation. So when you look at somebody wearing glasses in the face, if you look at their glasses, you see like through the lens, you see their on the side of their face where their eyes are, it's almost like squished in. Like when you look at somebody with a, maybe a stronger pair, that's the stigmatism compensation. But what that does is acts like a crutch. So the eyes and the muscle of the eye is essentially holding that stigmatism in place because the eye naturally will want to be round. So if you work with a behavioral optometrist, holistic optometrist, they can actually prescribe you glasses that gets rid of that crutch. So it's holding your, it's always holding your eyes into that place, but the eyes will need to relax. So the shape will become round again. And this can be done through various techniques. Palming techniques is probably one of the most famous techniques, which is just taking the palms of your hands and lightly pressing, covering both eyes. And William Bates talked 
quite a bit about this technique, how that's the key to sight is relaxation. And most people don't realize whether it was built up over time, you know, in the same way that when you're stressed out, you know, going about your day and you don't even realize that you've been clenching your jaw the whole time. The same thing happens with these subtle muscles around the eye because we're just like in this like hyper-focused mode and it's like always on. Mm. So the body needs to be trained to to let go. Natural sight is effortless sight. Yeah. So what's other things we can do as well? So there's like the red light, getting up, seeing the sunrise or getting some kind of red light, close eyes, get that light spectrum. It's like holding up our palms in front of our, like giving a gentle massage. I, I you wouldn't want to press too hard, but it's it's more of like holding the eyes to to take the strain off the muscles. That can be done for five five to ten minutes every day, and people have profound ha- happenings from it. I you know I'd suggest, like I said, if you do have glasses, working with a a holistic optometrist, or some people are even ordering glasses online and finding out ways to reduce their diopters to to again allow the eyes uh, like a pair of glasses so they can relax a bit. So there's that trauma, you know, childhood trauma, even ancestral trauma actually does play a a big role in vision problems as well. And again, there's a lot of data and science showing the same thing. The body, once it's traumatized and that trauma hasn't been resolved, the body didn't want to see the trauma. So that manifests into, you know, not wanting to see it. So the body blurs it out. Trauma reduction therapy, whether it's somatic therapy, which is a type of body-mind centric therapy, psychedelic therapy. I mean, ketamine is, there's articles coming out showing that ketamine has been shown to really help with common vision issues as well. You know, ketamine is also being used for traumatic brain injury. So then there's the connection between the eye and the brain. Mm -hmm. It's helping the eye. Sorry, it's helping the brain. It's helping the eye. So again, there's that connection. But unresolved trauma most definitely as a factor in, into a lot of vision issues. And we got to ketamine. What's the status on the research on that right now? Because it can have some quite heavy effects, right? Like, is it FDA approved now? Or are we at like the experimental stage in regards to using it for eyesight and so on? Like, what, where are we in, in that spectrum? In regards to using it for eyesight, I think they still are learning a lot about ketamine. Right now, the, the two main legal uses of ketamine treatment are for pain and uh, depression. It's Mm. the only legal psychedelic to be uh, now run in in, uh, most parts of North America, US and Canada. There's quite there's quite a few clinics legally allowed to to function for that. So I can send you that paper on on the ketamine and and the eyesight if you're interested in seeing that that came out in a a journal. Uh, That'd be fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes. I often get questions when when there's claims on the podcast and something works. People are like, all right, you said there's a lot of data, but like, can we see any of the data? Like, do we have any articles that we can look through ourselves and, and kind of read? Same as saying like the, the trauma is related and ancestral trauma is related to eyesight. Like, where are we in regards to papers and understanding of that? Or is it more like at the intuitive level that we're like, we see traumas are having an issue in general in the body? Well, the work of uh, Dr. Gabor Mate has a lot of um, data showing that he's um, this fellow, Dr. Gabor Mate. He's a medical doctor, trauma expert. Um, this book is called When the Body Says No. 
there's a lot of case studies showing that people who were traumatized, unresolved, who had unresolved trauma, their trauma ends up manifesting into autoimmune issues, cancer, uh, you name it. And then there's another book that, that again goes into the science. It's called It Didn't Start With You by mm -hmm. Mark Wolin. And he himself he started to go blind at 30 and realized, you know, through a lot of his, his healing journey, he ended up finding that he started to go blind because of an ancestral trauma. So this is a little bit more woo-woo, but he has a lot of science in his book showing individuals in a traumatized state showing that genes were turning off. And again, if you reduce the, if you take away the trauma, things can kind of come back. And then there's another book too. I mean, that Dr. Gabor Mate recommended a, uh, in 2019, this book that just came out. It's called Cured. Mm -hmm. It's about the life-changing science of spontaneous healing. So there's case studies of people with stage four melanoma who were on their deathbed where they, you know, made some of these life changes and then they're completely healed or the cancer just completely disappeared. So how does that happen? But what I think how that happens is it's basically we put ourselves in this Goldilocks environment where you're in a safe place, you're feeling loved, you're eating well you're you know out in the sun and, and and then all of a sudden these things are in order and that issue that symptom just all of a sudden just disappears so i mean there's still more research to that what's going on but but i i really believe that that's essentially is what biohacking is now aiming to do this look at the inner world from you know emotional states mm. etc to our outer world you know what we're eating our light environment, the quantum environment as well. So if things get balanced, then the body will go into its natural state of, of healing. Hmm. So it's, it's fascinating what's going to come up the next couple of years or the next 10, 20 years. How are we going to understand it better? Like yeah. what is traumas? And I heard the whole epigenetics and like ancestral, ancestral and so on. I haven't, I haven't read those books, but um, but I'm like slightly skeptical still in regards to whether my grand grandmother is like the trauma she experienced is why I am like if I have an autoimmune disease and so on. But I'm hearing more and more people talk about it. So who knows? It might be like meditation was 20 years ago. People are like that's absolutely crazy. How could you ever think that just sitting and doing nothing could change your brain? Right? People look at that being like that's absolutely crazy. And now we have the tools today to actually measure it. Yeah, I, you know, if you the, one of the best books out there right now on that topic is is that Mark Wolin book. It didn't start with you, and hmm. he goes into a lot of the science. So if if you know that can open your eyes if you check that book out. Very interesting. Cool. Make and sure then, to put uh, put a link oh. in the show notes as well for that, so people can check okay. it out. For so sure, if someone yeah. is sitting yeah. and listening, saying like, hmm, "I don't believe it," I would suggest uh, try and check it out. Uh, I think that's part of being a scientist as well as if you hear a claim, if someone provides with some kind of knowledge or pieces to kind of prove it, then that's kind of testing it out and seeing uh, do you believe in the science or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, question everything regardless. So I'm, I'm, I'm a most definite advocate of, of questioning everything or it's very important. Um, the, the other thing I've been finding fascinating and I really believe it's, you know, one of the future elements of, of medicine is is peptides i've been uh, quite i've been exploring that quite a bit and just a quick uh, word on what peptides is so we have proteins and then the smaller parts are peptides and then we go down to amino acids is that correct 
Yes. Yes. So, I mean, insulin is probably one of the most famous peptides, but the body is like a peptide creating machine, you know, thyroid, whatever. So the, 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 the Russians about 40 years ago started developing these peptide bioregulators that target, you know, the brain, pineal gland, the retina, liver. And um, there's been some really interesting data showing they've had a profound effect on you know my condition actually retinitis pigmentosa using the retina bioregulator and the brain bioregulator and there's PubMed studies as well showing that the epitalon peptide uh, can drastically help retinitis pigmentosa as well as the retinal peptide retinamylin and now i mean in the past year or so it's been you know blowing up the popularity of peptides whether peptides for immune system like thymus alpha 1 there's BPC-157, which is a very diverse uh, healing peptide that's actually created in your in naturally in, in the gastric juices of your stomach, but they've found a way to isolate it and just an incredible uh, healing peptide for tendon, muscle repair, injury, dopamine regulation, you know, you name it. And that, that one, you know, Ben Greenfield's talked about it. There's so many people now talking with that one specifically, but there's a lot of them right now and new ones are being created and, you know, for, for, for the brain, for, for the eyes. So it's an interesting yeah. area that's developing a lot these days yeah. and getting a lot of press. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, obviously I was taken by, by that. And uh, I'm working with some great people uh, who are quite knowledgeable. Dr. Seeds, he he was the head of the International Peptide Society. Uh, he's been working with me, giving me uh, peptides, you know, prescribed peptides. Uh, so I've been working on it for about, you know, working with them for about a year or so. I've been using the Russian bioregulator peptides as well, like the epitalon, like the retinal peptide. And um that I, I started mm, a year and a half ago. So I went to my optometrist and, and got some markers, some labs showing where my visual fields were at, you know, in this special test. And so I have that. And then uh, a year later, I went back and my visual fields have been have been slowly improving. You know, I went back again two weeks ago and there's another change again for the for the better. Uh, you know, I'm currently on my round three of my retina protocol. You know, every every three months, I, I do a round of these peptides. And uh, and then, you know, when I'm not doing those, I do these other ones to, to help facilitate the immune system and, and other things. So, yeah, I mean, I, um, I have the data in, in uh, you know, on, on these visual field reports showing that, you know, my, I have some lab reports from 20 years ago, how my eyes were. I mean, my optometrist said my eyes look much better now than they did 20 years ago. That's fantastic. So if there's any chance you can put some of that together, Victor, I would love to see that as well and, and share to see. So if you can see the understanding or if someone doesn't have the eyesight, but can have someone else explain them to like, Hey, something is, is possible. Of course, it might be a different disease and so on. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that—that that was really the benefit. That was really the uh, the purpose of putting together the vid vision optimization summit. Because, mm -hmm. as you know, and as I've been talking about, there's so many different potential angles that the eyes need to be in that environment to, to, that can be looked at. Like I said, trauma, peptides, color light therapy, neuroplasticity. Remember you talked when we spoke earlier as well about the whole like where do you move your like moving your eyes different directions actually training the eyes to move around is also part of can be helpful like with the right protocols to train the eyes in that way. Well yes absolutely 
I mean, if you're living an indoor life existence and you're always just looking at your computer, so you're just, your eyes are just looking from here to there Hmm. every day, here to there, here to there. But the eyes need breaks. The eyes need to be blinking a lot. It's very important to blink a lot. And the other thing it's important, if you're staring at your computer, it's, it's getting this foreign, unnatural light signal. So it's so important to look away from your computer. If you're by a window, look far off in the distance so your eyes can be trained to be like, oh, yeah, it needs to like look in the distance. Hmm. Because, you know, the old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, but It very much happens to the eyes, too. So, again, it's it's I mean, ultimately, everything I'm talking about has just stemmed from us being completely disconnected from nature so once you kind of get that back and realize that we're connecting on whether it's a quantum level or you know people why do people feel great when they're on the beach walking barefoot in the sun where's where that i mean obviously you're on vacation but there's something else different there hmm. grounded you know charging the cells so yeah i mean i'm still learning a lot and and there's just so much interesting information and we're going we've gone so far but I'm still learning as well and, and growing and healing, but uh, just all this stemmed from my curiosity to just try and get well because I was not in the best spot and, and you know, doctors were telling me stuff that just simply wasn't working anymore. Mm. Victor, time is flying fast. So uh, the question that I always ask my guests as well, if you had to give one to three advice, final advice to the guest, what could that be? Final advice? Could be something you mentioned before as well. Yeah, well, I, I would just I would say that you know your your body is intelligent and it can heal. You just need to believe that and understand the environment that it needs to heal in. And you might not be able to see these things with your eyes, but there's a lot of things at play. And get inspired by books, research, question everything, and and then magic can happen. It's beautiful. Victor, where can people find out more about you? I'm quite active on Instagram at Blind Biohacker. Uh, they can also go to visionoptimizationsummit.com and register for the, the the summit. All the talks are available to to watch and learn from. Watch at your own pace. And my documentary film in the States is available on Amazon Prime and iTunes iTunes in Canada. Uh, in Europe, I have to check where that is. But otherwise, they can find it on your Instagram. Yes. So if you go to Instagram, look at your profile, you have this link as well where you're linking to a lot of the stuff. And then, yeah. perfect. Victor, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great talking with you and hope to see you in real life soon. Same. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.